You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. is revealed by the cross. Bible teaches us that the cross is the supreme revelation of God's love for us. You know the quote, Romans 5 verse 8 simply says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you have to ask yourself, you have to ask yourself today, when did God start loving me? Has God always loved us? Some may believe He only loves us when we become saved, but the cross shows us how God's love is for everyone. In today's message, Pastor Dave will bring us down the path Jesus took moments before He was nailed to the cross, fulfilling prophecies and becoming the greatest sacrifice. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 19 as he begins his message, No Greater Love. today's text, we see this beautiful, glorious, wonderful example of his love. A pure love. Greater love has no man. There is no greater love than was demonstrated on this day where we are in the Gospel of John that we're going to share. And as we come into this section of chapter 19... John begins to take us through three extremely important events in Christianity. First and foremost, what we're talking about today is he takes us through the crucifixion. And then he takes us through Jesus' death and his burial. These are momentous events. And we need to understand them. Not only in the historical view... Because make no bones about it, these events happen. They are historical, and they are historical events that can be proven facts. But we need to look at them through the doctrinal issues that they represent. Because these events clearly spell out most of the gospel message. And we need to be aware of that as we move forward. So today, we come to the cross. Try as he may, Pontius Pilate could not convince the crowd that Jesus was innocent. Even after having Jesus scourged, Pilate brought him out, stood before the crowd and said, Behold the man. And there stood Jesus, all his humanity showing, humiliated, bloodied, and beaten. The religious leaders stirred the crowd into a frenzy and they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! They would be satisfied with nothing less than Jesus' death. Pontius took Jesus aside, and he said to him, Say something to me. But Jesus remained silent. Pilate asked him, Do you not realize that I have the power to crucify you or release you? Jesus looked at Pilate and said, The only power you have is the power that's been given to you from above. In other words, you're not in control of this, pal. Somebody much greater than you 
is in control. This kind of frightened Pilate. And then the religious leaders pulled the big one out. If you let this man go, you're not a friend of Caesar. This was the last straw because Pilate was a man pleaser. And if anybody he wanted to please, it would be Caesar because he knew the, the consequences of coming against Caesar. He would be right alongside of Jesus on a cross. So in one last stitch effort, Pilate again points to Jesus and says to the Jews, behold, your king. This infuriated the crowd and they rejected their true king. They rejected their Messiah and more crowds of crucify him, crucify him, rang out all through the praetorium. So Pilate, seeing that there was no way out, not wanting to start a rebellion, he gives in to the pressure and he hands Jesus over to them to take him away that he might be crucified. We found that out in verse 16. Then he, Pilate, delivered him, Jesus, to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Crucifixion was the form of capital punish used by the Romans during this time. Two wood beams, three nails, yet simple but extremely effective. Extremely effective. They would take these two beams and they would make a cross. Then they would take the convicted and nail that person to the cross, allowing them to hang there until they died, usually by suffocation. Because as they hung there, their body would get heavier and heavier and their lungs would basically be trapped in their diaphragm and they couldn't breathe. Crucifixion was a horrible death, a terrifying death. And the goal of crucifixion was to inflict the maximum amount of agony on another person for the longest time possible. Crucifixion was reserved for the most hardest, nastiest criminals and the lowest of low. It was designed to make the victim publicly die slowly with great pain and humiliation. It was so horrible that the Roman statesman and philosopher Cicero said this, quote, it was the most cruel and shameful of all punishments. And then he goes on in the Roman Senate and leads a charge they make a decree that no Roman citizen would ever be crucified. Interesting. They didn't have any trouble crucifying the Son of God, did they? Interesting. Crucifixion. When we look at this from a biblical perspective, we need to understand one thing. This was the form of death that God had ordained for Jesus to die. And the death that Jesus was obedient to as he submitted to the Father. So Jesus is handed over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Let's look at verse 17a. And he bearing his cross. It was customary that the convicted criminal carry their own cross to the place of execution. This was just another added humiliation upon Jesus as he had to walk through the crowd the crowd could yell at him, cheer at him, throw things at him, whatever, as he walked through carrying this cross. Imagine, imagine what the world would do today if the convicted had to carry their electric chair down to the chamber. If the convicted had to carry 
the gas capsule that the canister would be dropped in for them to be gassed to death, or if they had to carry the three needles that would be used for lethal injection. Imagine the cry from the world today. Surely that would be cruel and unusual. Surely it would be against our own constitution. But not then. The cross or the cross beam would be carried from the hall of judgment was the praetorium to the place of execution. And in this instance, they reckoned it was about a mile. About a mile there. Now the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, say that a man named Simon of Cyrene was picked out of the crowd and he was forced to carry Jesus' cross. And the question came to me, why did someone else carry Jesus' cross? Now in the movies, you see him falling all over the place and, and being weak. I and mean, this could possibly be true. But remember, Bible's silent on this. Bible doesn't tell us why this man was pulled out. But we can come up with several reasons. As I said, the scourging alone should have killed Jesus. The loss of blood must have been terrific and horrific, and he would be very, very weak as he tried to carry this cross. Also, because he was weakened, his pace might be slower than the religious leaders wanted. It's taking too long. Move him along. We want to get this done before the Passover. Let's go. Let's hurry it up. Think about this. The cross was a sign of carrying guilt. Jesus wasn't guilty. Why should he carry a cross the sign of guilt? He wasn't guilty. He was innocent. Think of it. So they take Jesus to a place called the place of the skull. Let's read the rest of 17. Went out to a place called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. Golgotha in Hebrew. It's the name of our church, Calvary. That's the Latin term, Calvary. Sadly, because of all of the changes throughout all the centuries in Jerusalem, it is difficult to determine the exact place where or even the exact route that this all took place. Two places where they believe that this event took place. One is the traditional site. It was identified by Helena of, Con of Constantinople. She was the mother of Constantine the Great. She had a vision of Jesus Christ, and in the vision, Jesus came and told her where this all took place. So she had them build a church around both this and what they consider to be the tomb. And we'll get to that in a couple weeks. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And you'll see that. The other place is outside the Damascus Gate, a few places down from the town, and there's a place that is called the Skull, or Skull Hill. It is actually in the form of a face. And you can see it. You can look at it and go, wait a minute, that hat, there's a face there. You can't deny it. It actually looks like a skull. Many believe that he was crucified there. And down below that is what is called the garden tomb. You will also walk through the streets of Jerusalem along a way called the Via Della Rosa, which is supposedly the path that Jesus took on his way to the crucifixion. 
Beautiful, beautiful thing. Heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, and you can't believe that you're actually walking along this path. Now, I'm here to tell you that the where it happened, to me, isn't important. The fact that it happened, that's important. That is important. It happened. It is a historical fact that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. That is an historical fact. Let's look at verse 18. Where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now, it's interesting that John doesn't spend any time talking about the criminals. He spends no time talking about the criminals on either side. And my mind wants to wonder, were they friends or associates of Barabbas? Was, was Barabbas supposed to be hanging there with them during the crucifixion? We don't know. But Jesus was crucified between two criminals, and in this way, two things happen. He continues to be associated with sinners, and he fulfills prophecy. In Isaiah 53, verse 12 says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. So Jesus is fulfilling prophecy as all this is taking place. Now, as a convicted person walked through the street carrying their cross, a Roman soldier would walk before them with a placard. And on the placard, it would give two things, the name of the person, and it would give their crime. More humiliation, more ways to humiliate the person and also serve as a warning to others. Pilate wrote something very controversial on the placard that Jesus took. Look at verse 19. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Pilate wrote the name of Jesus, the same name that he was arrested by in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus of Nazareth. And he also wrote what is said to be his crime. What's his crime? He said he was King of the Jews, so that was his crime. Even in his death... Even in his death, Jesus is identified with the humble, obscure, and despised city of Nazareth. Even in his death, Jesus of Nazareth. And even in his death, Jesus is recognized as a king. And what's interesting to me is that kings of the world take their thrones when someone else dies. When their father dies or someone in the line dies, they take that throne. But Jesus was proclaimed as king to the whole world by his own death. The title also showed proper justification of a sinless nature of Jesus. Criminals were on either side. Their crimes listed. Jesus had simply described who he was. This didn't sit well with the religious leaders. Look at verses 20 and 21. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Do not write this. What's wrong with you? Too many of the Jews that read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin so all could understand it. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. This description of Jesus was true, but the religious leaders could not handle the truth. They never could handle the truth. They didn't believe the truth about Jesus Christ. They rejected him from day one, and they reject him all the way to the cross, even while he was hanging there, asking the Father to forgive them. They continued to reject him. 
They continued. These pompous men would not believe. Instead, they suppressed the truth. They suppressed the truth about Jesus and held anyone who did believe in him in content and threw him out of the synagogue. And this thought came to me. This is an obscure thought. But hatred which is brought on by prejudice is a terrible thing. Hatred which is brought on by prejudice is a terrible, terrible thing. Listen to what Guzik says about this. Quote, the religious leaders objected to Pilate's title. They felt it was false because they did not believe that Jesus was the king of the Jews. And then they also believed it was demeaning because it showed Rome's power to humiliate and torture even the king of the Jews. Interesting thought there. Finally, Jesus is hanging on a cross. And finally, Pilate steps up. Finally, Pilate has something to say. In verse 22, Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. (laughs) Thanks, Pilate. About time. About time you stood up to these guys. A little late, don't you think? These guys bullied you into getting Jesus crucified, but now you're saying, I won't change what I've written. I won't change it. Now, I thought this was pretty cool of Pilate. I thought this was pretty cool that he finally stood up to these guys when I found out that it was against Roman law to change a sentence once it was pronounced. The sentence was he was king of the Jews. He couldn't change that. So he couldn't take it down if he wanted to. The inscription was the sentence. And when you get to verse 23 and 24, we see the continuation of Jesus' humility. And we see another fulfillment of prophecy. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things." The soldiers are doing their job. They're not being paid. It was customary in that time to take the objects that belonged to those who were crucified. So they take them and they divide them up. It's kind of like their spoils, if you will. So they divided up all of Jesus' clothing. He didn't have much. It said four pieces, probably his sandals, maybe a turban. They don't know if we know Jesus wore a turban or not. We don't know what he wore. But they divided it in four pieces. The only thing of value that Jesus had was this beautiful tunic. We would call it a robe. This beautiful, seamless robe. Exodus 28 tells us that the high priest was the only one that wore a seamless garment. So again, you have a picture of Jesus as our high priest. So not being able to tear it, they cast lots. In other words, they threw dice. And the winner got it. This fulfilled Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. When we survey the wondrous cross of Jesus Christ, when we look at the cross on which the Prince of Glory suffered and died, we survey a topic of enormous significance. Enormous significance. Think about it. Please, take this into consideration. Without the cross, there is no Christianity. Without the cross, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no eternal life, no hope for the future, and no power in the present life. The cross is more than a symbol to be worn around your neck. It is the central reality of the Christian faith. 
It is also what makes Christianity unique. No other major religion do you have anything like this story. A God who became man and was put to death and then rose from the dead. Only in Christianity do you have God taking on the form of full humanity, being born an infant, living in adulthood, and then executed as a criminal and buried, only to resurrect it bodily three days later. Who can imagine such a thing? Who could dream up a story like this? Many people find it preposterous. Paul, when writing to the Corinthian church, spoke about this. He spoke about this in chapter 1, verse 18. He writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Then down to 22 through 25. For the Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block. To the Greeks foolishness. For there are those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. The cross defines Christianity. The cross defines Christianity. It's what distinguishes our faith from every other belief system on the planet. To unpack the meaning of the cross in any comprehensive way would take us a lifetime. It would take us a lifetime to delve into all the facts about the cross. But I've taken one thing about the cross the Lord put upon our heart that I want to focus on for the rest of my time. One fact about our faith, which is clearly revealed by the cross of Jesus Christ, and that is the love of God. The love of God is revealed by the cross. Bible teaches us that the cross is the supreme revelation of God's love for us. You know the quote, Romans 5, verse 8, simply says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you have to ask yourself, you have to ask yourself today, when did God start loving me? When did God start looking down upon me and start loving me? When you surrendered your life to Jesus? When you raised your hand and came forward? When you said the sinner's prayer? After you said that, did God look down and go, oh, isn't that sweet? I think I'll accept you now. I'm going to love you now. No. No. God loved you and demonstrated that love towards you when he sent his dear son to the cross and he died for you. That was a clear demonstration of his love. He died for the ungodly. And because he died for the ungodly state, which is us, I have no place to boast. What can I boast in? Paul says, I don't boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. Therein is my boast. Now I'm boasting about me. I'm boasting about him. He died. I was supposed to, but he died. You are a sure We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.